0: You are now listening to the Messed Up series. The main goal of these, uh, of these uh, seminars is to encourage knowledge transfer in the department, in the faculty, and uh, hear more on uh, what can go wrong. We oftentimes see the final package when everything went through, when everything went right. There's a lot of things that go wrong, that are messed up. And that's the key in our seminars, the messed up bits, what can go wrong and how can we learn from these failures? So the first meme is about avoiding sensitive topics. Today's topic is ethics, research, cultures, and interactions with these cultures on these type of things. And uh, who better than Kartike, our uh, head of the ethics departmental committee to talk about this. He has chosen these as first meme. So Kay, would you tell us more about your choice? Avoid- Arsikea,
1: welcome to our sixth session. Yeah,
0: yeah. Thank you Thank you. Thank you so much.
2: Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I've been having a chat with uh, Enrico about this topic and like he said, I'm the chair of the departmental Ethics committee as well. so I should know uh, a bit about uh, ethics, but you know just to just to uh, you know s- start off with an honest confession, I mean, I myself find uh, negotiating the ethics space uh, quite challenging and difficult, and that is something that should come out uh, during the course of this conversation, uh, because I do uh, most of my research, including my PhD research in, um, in India, and I work with the police and, 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 and security agencies, uh, and that Th- throws up so many challenges that I've had to deal with over the last uh, 10 years now uh, and, and, and you know this whole idea of when you take certain, um, certain uh, frameworks or certain procedures, ethical procedures and try to supplant them in the field, as you know as researchers would say, especially in the complex environment of, of, uh, of a completely different uh, culture, then it, it, it throws up some really interesting uh, interesting uh, questions. And what I've done is like, you know, I've uh, written down a few notes. Uh, these are things that I definitely want to touch upon, uh, which will kind of um, uh, answer many of the questions that were asked previous to this, uh, this uh, session. And also, you know, just get us thinking about doing ethics. And, I've, and I, I have a couple of suggestions as well towards the end. So, I mean, just to, because, you know, the, the name of the series is messed up and, and, and and just to kick things off, I would just, you know, start by uh, sharing what happened to me. Uh, And as, as this fresh uh, MRes student, I'd uh, come to UCL from uh, finishing my master's degree at Oxford, and then I, I got this, um, you know, secret scholarship and I was, I was over the moon because I thought, okay, here's four years of my life, I get to do this, uh, this interesting research work, I've got a, I've got funding for it and life looks good. And uh, my, my whole research um, topic, which I had uh, presented uh, to the department was doing research on response. Of uh, metro rail operators to uh, terrorist threats, so sp- specifically IEDs. So at that time, what was happening was that Mumbai was building a new metro rail operation, and my pitch to the department was that as in, as a department of engineering, this is a great opportunity for us to get into get in the midst of a of a, of a, of a metro rail project which is just you know just being built and see how they deal with these challenges of security, uh, especially in a city like Mumbai, which has a history of terrorist attacks using IEDs against trains. So the, the department liked it. I, Like I said, I got onto the program and uh, the program starts in September, as you all know. And in December, I went to India uh, to meet the, the officials at the at this Metrorail uh, network. And uh, before I I, I, uh, I moved I came to England to do my master's I'd worked as a journalist in in Mumbai for about nearly six years so I had pretty good contact with these organizations pretty good contacts with the police way better than what you would expect anybody else because even as a journalist I used to cover like court cases and, and I had I had good contact. So I went into the to the uh, the organization and this is where the messed up bit begins. We had a really long nice, Uh, meeting with the with the uh, MD of the firm. And I should mention here that the train firm operating the metrorail network in Mumbai is Veolia, uh, which is a French firm. So I was also hopeful, you know, that these guys will be more receptive of the whole idea of research and, and et cetera, which they were. So I kept talking to them about, you know, issues such as safety, how I need their operations data, how I would like, you know, access to the organization and they were completely open about it. They were, complete, they, they, felt like this is great, we've got a researcher. They were, they, like I said, they were positive about it. So this meeting with the MD and a couple of uh, other people, their operations research manager lasted about an hour. And at the end of the meeting, I just said one sentence, uh, which I thought was my duty to say so. And I just said, look, you know, uh, Having said all this, you can rest assured that your data uh, will be safe with me because, you know, we follow certain uh, principles. That's that's
1: the right thing to say.
2: That was exactly the right thing to say. And I thought I was reassuring them because moving forward, I would be getting this data from them. And they were were like the, the MD had called somebody with their operations data and their plans and their everything on a hard drive. Like, you know, one of those-
0: portable. Basically, at that point for you, that sentence was the cherry on the cake. I mean- Yeah. I yes. was like, yeah. It went fine. <laughs> yeah, Just... absolutely.
2: And I had my pen drive out and all I had to do was connect, you know, take the data. The moment I said that, you know, there were three people in the room and I could see a change in the atmosphere and they kind of like froze or maybe I felt that I had made them realize that there were- Ethical and security implications. What I, of what I was doing, and you know, at that moment, I saw them keep like the hard drive away. <laughs> and it took me one year after that to get that same data. Oof. Wow! Because wow. then they made me go through the process, which is applying for the data, going through their legal department. Asking me for letters of assurance from the department, which is not easy to get. Uh, and if you ask me at that time when I was just ready to write, you know, I thought one the moment I, and I was true in I was like, I was correct in my assessment. I thought that the moment I get this data on, on, on my pen drive, that's my MRES project sorted because they had like, you know, detailed operational data, plans, everything that I needed, right there. Like I could have had a really nice summer, right? Because what went you... wrong
1: there? What did you do wrong? Why did why did you travel all the way without having it sorted out before knowing UCL and the procedures? Okay. What went wrong there?
2: Absolutely. So this is a really good question to ask at this point of time because this brings me to this first theme. Uh, I don't know if any one else here has done research in, you know, I, I'm, I'm only familiar with the subcontinent, that's India, Pakistan, Bangladesh, most, so India. When you do research there, all your relationships are based on trust, mm. right? They do not, ha- they have, so, and trust is individual, trust is personal so the reason that to to use the right word the reason i had this audience with the md of the firm was because i'd been a journalist previously and someone else had called him on my behalf and said meet this guy okay so the way the way these things work is through references okay and they work through this realization that you know i'm not placing my trust in the ethics procedure that a foreign university follows, even though it must it it is in the top 10 universities in the world, and you've got this, you know, beautiful statement of research ethics, etc., they don't care about that. It's a personal relationship. So tomorrow, and this is even more so when it comes to police, right? So when police is giving you any data, they if you follow the police procedure in a in a extremely bureaucratic country like India, you could be following it for four years and you won't still won't get any data, right? Mm-hmm. Because everybody will make you run. Because anyway, anyone who's sitting in the police legal department, who's clearing researchers, whatever, is doesn't like his job, right? It's a punishment posting for him. Like, you know, it's a desk job, which he's been given because he did something wrong. And he's not interested in processing those applications. And he's going to like, you know, push his authority in your face. The only way you bypass all that is through personal equations, right? Now, there's a a contradiction between a personal equation and procedure. So the, the, the mistake I made was that this was, this data was given to me, was being given to me on the basis of trust, which was, you know, which was what they would call a second order, third order trust, because this person had I had been vouched for by someone who this guy knew. Mm. And a lot of research in the subcontinent, especially in police, especially with government, especially with security is on the basis of that. And the reason for that is that people who are giving you the data, they know that that data can be misused, right? Uh, Also like, I'm not an expert on this, but if you go to post-colonial societies, right? Like India, there's an extreme distrust of the West, right? There's an extreme dr- distrust of their procedures because first of all, Indian universities and Indian academics are not following those procedures. They are working on the basis of trust, right? And there's a greater trust of what are seen as local academics than someone who comes from a foreign university. And I I mean, at least I'm Indian. I've, I speak the language. I understand the culture. I've lived there. You can complicate this matter by like a million if you are a non-Indian from a foreign university who wants to do that research. And I know, I know researchers like that, I know people, but it's taken them a long time to reach that stage where people feel that, okay, what you do is not going to have, is not gonna come back to me. Now, okay, when we say things like confidentiality, anonymity, uh you know uh, non-dual use etc etc data protection right we mean all those things we mean that you know you as a participant give me an interview today as a police officer being critical of of your organization it's not going to come back to you and we're going to ensure that so and
0: we yeah now just i'm thinking because you are putting so many points uh, showing how the culture changes uh, everything basically here. You are showing how it is important to understand the culture and all of that. And you already had experience, as you said, not being a, an Indian academic, but at least being Indian and having lived there for a long time. So we have a very nice question from uh, Juliana that was, with everything like this in mind, yes or no, do you still think saying what you said was the right thing to do?
2: That's a, that's not an easy question to answer because, <laughs> okay. I'll tell you what, at some level you make that research almost impossible. And this has also happened to me. So there was another project that I was doing, uh, which was about cybercrime against older people. And, uh, we went through UCL rec. Uh, as a low-risk application, because uh, there was a there was a, there was a risk that uh, we were going to interview older people who had been victims of cybercrime. Okay, so clearly a vulnerable group, but it wasn't just older people we were interviewing. We were also interviewing people who were uh, police officers, uh, people who work in banks, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So there was this. There's a friend of mine who is um, who is a chief technology officer with a large uh, international bank. And he's, he's, he's like an old friend. So he, he gave me the interview. He signed um, uh, the consent forms, read the participant, sh- the participant information sheet, et cetera, et cetera. And, and he was good. In this, this, in this research project, I was collaborating with UCL psychology. And they are, they are extremely, extremely uh, particular about ethics approvals because they work with older people. Uh, themselves, and in psychology, there's this whole tradition of, uh, of doing uh, ethics, uh, you know, seeking, doing uh, ethics-proof research and and how to follow it, and their department is literally running, like, hundreds of uh, projects every year, so I was warned by them uh, because my, my, uh, my collaborator was uh, from, uh, a professor from UCL psychology, and there was a research student who went to India with me to work on the project who was from uh, psychology, Uh, She was English from here. And they warned me that you have to be very, very clear about, uh, you have to follow the procedure. So she gave me an example that how she was interviewing some um, older person for another uh, project on, uh, I think on dementia research. And uh, his, I think surname was Sparrow or Robin or like, you know, like a bird's name. So when he signed, uh in the in the consent form he's he drew the picture of a bird in every box right instead of putting his name because he said that's what i do that's my signature because my name my surname is 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 of a bird i draw a bird so he drew little birds in all the boxes and at at ucl psychology they have ethics audits every year and they randomly pick out projects and ethics sheets and they are stored for like 10 years like the physical copies
1: let me and guess they chose yours
2: no so this wasn't my project so this oh, okay. project where oh. she where the person had drawn yeah the that word,
1: person yeah
2: yeah that got picked up oh god He <laughs> was in trouble like she had to answer go to the committee answer why like how was that why didn't the person sign their name and she had to give an explanation. And basically it was a lot of paperwork. So this was the background with which I went to do this project with her. And coming back to the, to, to the point, so this friend of mine who's a CTO, he gave me a nice uh, interview for the project, Good Data. And he said, you also need to speak to my cybersecurity chief, who was pretty high up in the organization. He was." He had a designation like a vice president in the bank, but in charge of cybersecurity, et cetera. So a really a key guy for me to speak to. And he met me in the office, and I sat with him. He was really friendly, had a coffee and everything uh, with me. He said, "Okay, let's. What are your questions? Go ahead." So I said, "Before I start, can you can you sign this consent form?" He said, "If I sign anything, it has to go to my uh, go to my uh, legal team." Oh, wow. That was the end. That was the end. That end. And this guy was the junior of my very good friend. And the interview didn't take place. So this was like, you know.
1: Trust didn't work here.
2: <laughs> no, and also to answer, and the question asked, would I do it again? So it is not
0: a simple answer. Mm-hmm. I mean, I missed out because on Because we have interview. to do it for our procedures, but it, yeah. they can, but, right? Yeah. So...
2: So the question is that, you know, you have this whole space, which is at odds with formal procedures, right? And uh, how do you go about dealing with it? And since we are on this theme, to let me to round it up, um, there was another project which did not, which I couldn't complete because of COVID. And and it was really exciting project. uh, And I like, you know, there are a lot of reasons to hate the pandemic, but this is on my like top of my list. Um, it was a it was a research collaboration with uh, with an academic in UCL anthropology, and what we were doing is that there's a tribe uh, in India uh, called Parthis. So they are they are traditionally been uh, hunters. So they hunt animals. Uh, today they are known as poachers because you know uh, hunting wildlife is illegal and it's a complicated space I don't want to get into that but they are involved in a lot of criminal activities so the, you know tigers get poached rhinos get poached and it's said that there is always a party involved right you know that is the police whatever so there is this uh, there is this uh, initiative which is going on where parties are being given what are called like you know um, given uh, a, a way towards honest living so they have been given jobs as uh, guards of national parks so you know the the hunter becomes the protector kind of thing so the whole project was to go to this party settlement where they are all working for the government and do this whole process on tiger conservation like you know how well is this working and my uh, collaborator in this case was from ucl anthropology and when he explained their process of ethics right uh, it was completely different from what psychology does or what we do right because they are so experienced in doing this and this is the amazing thing we are all departments at ucl so for example, one of the things he said was that we don't, we don't ask for consent, uh, people to sign any pieces of paper because often we, I mean, they, the subjects may, may not even know how to read and write, right? Um, how they, so how are you going to do whatever? He said, there is this whole notion of uh, consent having been given When you do the interview. So while you start the interview, you start the recording, you say like, you know, we're going to talk about this and that and you're you're happy to do it, aren't you? And the person says yes. Okay. And that's on the recording. If you ask me, that's as good a consent as someone reading a a form and putting their signature on it.
0: Right. They actually be better under certain aspects because they would be listening rather than having to skim through maybe a whole page and they just jump to the end
1: yes exactly another another challenge would be as well i i i was challenged by the rec committee the, the high risk um, application what are you going to do to the signed consent forms as well once you, you have them, you have to keep them safe because it has signature and name of the participant. Yeah,
2: yeah. yeah. So yeah, exactly. So in, in the psychology project, it was easy. They have a repository uh, safe place to keep those forms mm-hmm. and uh, we gave it to, I gave mine to them and it's uh, still with them. Uh, the funny thing is that they had a, they had a break in um, oh. a couple of years ago where it was found that someone had opened that safe, right? And there was this huge, huge thing where even like the HOD and all, everybody got involved. And luckily they had um, CCTV uh, in that uh, area. And they found out that it was one of the UCL security staff, you know, those who do the rounds, uh, who had checked that safe and opened it. But if there was no CCTV, there was this whole issue of what's gone missing? Do we need an audit? Why why have some things been removed? So again, to answer Samaya's question, that in itself creates its own multiple levels of uh, risk and and challenges of doing that. But like personally, I feel for something that we do uh, at you know speak to police officers criminals victims etc cetera, etc cetera. we are more i think we are better off learning from ucl anthropology than trying to apply ethics like you would in other disciplines mm. because you know you do you do work this whole idea of trust is always there like even i'm sure even victims of crime in england when they're speaking to you Uh, they're not just, I mean, to a level, they're relying upon the fact that it is a, you know, uh, it is a well-regarded university and you you trust them to uh, follow procedure, but they are also relying on their personal equation or some personal connection to talk
0: to you, right? On this topic, we have an extremely interesting question from Michele. So um, he said, I had the same problem with Italian They accepted to be interviewed, but they would only do it anonymously because they need approval from the police chief to do official interviews. I'm not sure sure what to do about this. Is it possible to do anonymous interviews or is it unethical? Now uh, just to give you more context, Kay, um, one one thing there is also that in Italy, there's a kind of uh, an infodemic, people, when there is something, for instance, some news, something, they really throw themselves into it. And uh, that means a lot of news uh, using sources that you're not sure how they are. And so as police officer, you don't want to be looked at as uh, uh, the person that created an issue in the police, for instance. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of these mechanisms uh, to balance in, uh, in those situations. And I think that is what creates the fear of saying, okay, how could I do it anonymously? Because if my name comes out, I'm gonna have a hard time with my fellow colleagues.
2: Okay. So when when you say anonymously, what does it mean? Does it mean that they will uh not allow you to record anything? They will not sign any pieces of paper? Like because you know, an anonymous, I mean, we we promise an anonymity. But the point is that what what does anonymity here mean? Because Obviously, the researcher knows who the person is, who they interviewed, right? Or you don't even know that. Mm. Like, you know, is it like somebody says, okay, call up this number. He's a police officer. Uh, Yeah. So if they don't want their name uh, reading the chat to be in any official document, that's fine. That's something we promise them in any case. Like, you know, when we promise anonymity and confidentiality of data, we're telling them that we will not use any personal information or publish any personal information uh, which can lead back to them, which is, again, a really interesting thing because, you know, sometimes anonymity just doesn't mean uh, removing people's names. As, you know, on the ethics committee, we've had, like, I've had this issue because people have submitted um, documents, submitted research design saying that, you know, uh, they're going to interview police officers and there are only three police officers in that in that jurisdiction. So clearly, I mean, not mentioning someone's name is not going to be enough because the other two people will know who it is, right? So how how are you going to ensure anonymity in that case, right? Sometimes the the group is so niche, like if I say I went and spoke to uh, senior officers of the anti-terrorism unit in Mumbai police, well, the police officers will know when I publish the results who I spoke to, right? Because it would be obvious either from some some minor detail in the interview or just even the opinion that they have. They will know, okay, this has to be this guy. So, I mean, clearly there's anonymity in the sense that I have not named anybody, but that's kind of like uh, redundant because, uh, you know, where it does need to be anonymous, it isn't. So, yeah, it's fine uh, for their name to not be on any official document, but the real challenge for you will be, if they refuse to sign any consent forms and stuff like that, where they say like, look, or they refuse to be recorded. You know, because voice recordings are, I mean, you, people worry that tomorrow, what if it gets leaked uh, tomorrow? I mean, how can you assure me like saying things like, I will register with the data protection officer in my department and everything people, I mean, again, these are things that people don't believe. Like, you know, you tell the police, like he, of send in India this is what you're going to do he he half believes it because he's like you have my recording i'm trusting you with it right i'm trusting you that it doesn't come out i okay you can tell me that you will keep it on encrypted devices and you will delete it etc cetera, etc cetera, but you know if i don't trust you then it's like if i don't trust that person then all that you know reassurance through procedure is not going to work mm. because you know, I you... think
1: similar, similar uh, to to what you mentioned about going back to the to your experience in India, which was based on trust, and they wouldn't pay that much of an attention to the procedures at UCL. I, I think similarly, there are countries or authorities or even individuals who are really aware of the data protection, GDPR, their privacy, the procedures in place, and they would request for the consent form, for example. They will ask for the proof that you have ethics approval. So it's, it's a game that we're playing uh Mm. what based on what you mentioned like you have both extremes i think what's important here for us as researchers to do our homework and know what we're dealing with and be prepared Mm. for it Mm. Um, especially if it's abroad like in in the case that you mentioned um Mm. i find it i find it always um um, interesting when I'm talking to people like police officers, for example, or academics as well about this um, topics. Um, now my research topic is sensitive, but I'm assuming um, in all fields, fields uh, it's applicable. They would request for approvals or a proof that you are who you are claiming mm. to be and you have the, the, the prepared for the data to be stored properly. So it's, it's a game that we have to know uh, the elements and the factors uh, for before we start.
0: I think one of the keys from what you both are saying is that the culture plays, the culture, the familiarity with the country and uh, understanding the culture plays a big role and possibly understanding what they want to hear as part of your procedures becomes crucial. I mean, there's plenty of things that uh, we, could, we could say for anonymizing data. We could give a pseudonym uh, in terms of user one, uh, user two, interviewer, interview one, whatever, uh, so that the person could say, delete my data I am interview one. And, and that would ensure the opportunity to withdraw at any point and so on and so forth. But if the person doesn't appreciate what we mean with these kind of terms, because it's not part of their culture, because it's not part of their uh, approach to things or part of the academic approach to things in that country, all these kind of things may affect if that is a success or not. Yeah. In fact, I mean,
2: just to add to that, in my experience, like, you know, in a funny way, um, in India, the more you reassure them, the less they trust you. Mm-hmm. because the whole thing is like, why are you giving me so much information about how you will, like, because that scares thinking, them. I, it scares them. Like today, mm-hmm. if somebody, so it's like, let's say, if it's like, you know, let's take a quick example. If somebody today comes to us and says, look, we are going to, you know, double your money or something like that, right? Uh, I'm going to trust the guy and give him the money. But if he suddenly starts telling me like, you know, we'll do this, we'll do this, we'll move it through so many accounts, like, hang on. I just trust you to double my money why are you suddenly telling me how much you will do because it sounds like you're not really sure of your own systems that Mm -hmm. you need to give me this kind of you know guarantee or some sort of like uh, you know assurance and in my experience it puts people off also like some of the stuff that we do here is not like as Enrico was mentioning right now is not common practice in those places, so it just sounds like um, fancy stuff, and and and, and what Somaya was saying, like again, in some places, if you run into people who are aware of these procedures, the only thing it's going to do is it's going to delay your project, because mm. they they are going to use that to 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 delay it, and sometimes as the researchers, especially if you're an MSc student and you've got like six months to finish up. Finish a dissertation, you want a quick, uh, you know, turnaround, and uh, not everyone has the has the time to to sort those things out.
1: Well, I, I think on that note, um, I I would like to ask a question. Like I've gone through this uh, many times. Like most of you may know, I've I filled in the high risk form many times, and. Most of the times I've succeeded, it took a long time. I have one project that is still running, which is research I wanted to do in my home country, in Bahrain, where ethics do not exist. Their ethics is very basic. It's just one page form, you fill it in and you submit it. And the, the struggle was here with the, with the REC over here in, in UCL. Now, it was one of my first experiences to fill in the form. Um, I learned from my mistakes as I progressed in the next form, the next form until the latest form that I have submitted. What is the mistake you see that students make that stop them from receiving the approvals? Let it be on departmental level or rec level.
2: See, at departmental level, it's fairly simple. I mean, you know, you have to just show us clearly that your project fits in one of those four exemption criteria. I mean, our, our you know scope to exempt projects is fairly limited. Um, as long as a student can show that it is it fits in one of those four criteria, usually it you know we, we get back to you in less than a week to say it's been exempted. So at the department level, the problem arises when that clarity is not there in the project. That's one thing. Or if we feel that okay, the student feels that it fits the exemption criteria, but there's something going on that, like like there's deception, for example, even mild mm-hmm. deception, or there is a there is a possibility that the uh, that participants could be considered vulnerable, or the questions that you're asking could induce feelings of stress and anxiety. Now these are like kind of great topics because even in the in the committee, it's not that it's not always that. You know, all of all four of us agree on every project, right? There are, you know, there's some people who feel okay, this is fine, and but some another member might say, look, this this is sensitive, etc. So that's that's the place. I'm not aware. I'm, I mean, I've been through UCL Rec as an applicant myself. Uh, I'm not aware of what um, what problems they have, but from my experience. Practically speaking, getting getting approval from REC is not so much about getting approval. It's about how long does it take. So I've seen a lot of even very sensitive projects get approval, but it just took them a long time, right? So
0: mm-hmm. the long
2: time happens in the back and forth. So you send one yes. application, then it takes them four weeks to come to it, read through it, then they send you a set of questions, then you reply, then another four weeks. So every time you're looking at about a delay of a month to Mm -hmm. month and a half. So I would say that there are no like, I mean, there are no no bad applications. It's just like how long applications take. That is the measure of Mm -hmm. good or bad. And sometimes
1: when you fill in the form, like you think, shall I provide full details? Shall I go like more discreet about parts of it? What do you think about that? Like, is it about you You mentioned clarity of the project on departmental level? Mm. I think it applies to both rec and department mm. is how you make them visualize and understand what is it you want to do. So shall we go like detailed, descri- into detailed description of our project or keep it simple? What do you mean by clarity?
2: Okay, so uh, one of the most important section on the UCL rec form in the low risk one for sure is, I mean, high risk is another story, right? High risk you cannot avoid. I mean, Mm. it's a long process, right? In the low risk one, at least section 37, I think is the most important box you need to fill in that form. Because what that section says is do you anticipate any ethical concerns and wh- what will you do about them? And you will not believe it. I have seen so many applications where people have written like three sentences in that. Mm. UCL rec, right? What the way I understand it is they read your research design, right? They need to read a research design in good detail. If your section 37 is light, Right. Because what they feel is that then you as a researcher yourself don't know the ethical concerns that will arise from your project. And that I mean, look at it from the point of view of the ethics committee that would put anyone that would make anyone wary. Right. Because the, mm. the, the first person who should know the ethical implications of your research, most of all, is you as the researcher. And if you yourself are kind of light on it, then they get worried because they feel like there will be all these ethical ethical concerns. You haven't even thought about them and there'll be a controversy tomorrow and UCLA will get dragged on it. That is one of the things that works majorly on that. So make your section 37 quite detailed, you know, think it through because what they also like is they like to see a person who has thought it through, right? He's done his uh, homework. Yeah. Done, done their homework. And yeah, That I think is half the battle one, because after that, you will say, I will mitigate it in the following ways. Again, there is no perfect way of mitigation. I have seen applications where people have gone and said, they're going to talk to victims uh, of knife crime and going to talk to gang members who who have been charged with knife crime, right? Mm -hmm. And they said, okay, this will create all these problems. And to mitigate it, I will point them to this resource, this charity, which works with victims of knife crime, if then. And that was good enough for the committee. Mm-hmm. Because again, they are not looking for you to turn into some sort of a counselor who will talk to them. All they want to know is that you are aware that when you will interview them, there's a possibility that the victims will feel distressed and anguished. And when they do that, there is a, a kind of, uh, you know, a resource for them to turn to. Mm. And, and, and bear this in mind, most research ethics, if you see it's kind of like, you know, gold standard, it comes from medicine, right? Mm. Because that's where people are most concerned. So most ethics committees are operating as if it is you're seeking um, ethical approval for uh, medical trials, right?
0: Mm.
2: There people do crazy stuff. Right. They. I, I mean, think a
1: medicine po- and security and crime science department. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> we do crazy but, stuff too. The okay, case. Yeah, sorry to interrupt, but we have three questions there, yeah. to, which are related to this. But I'll first address um, the other. Ones I have actually to read. Uh, there mm. is a project, is mm. on the Amherst program and uh, conducting an online service which will ask participants their opinion on topics that are not sensitive. Mm. Highly specific details, though, like name, date of birth, address, will not be asked. Mm -hmm. However, there are some demographic questions related to gender, age group, and educational level. So, Mm -hmm. he submitted a research registration application for data protection, uh, along with the ethics application. pretty well organized. Mm Does he need to do also the data protection impact assessment in such a situation? I don't think so. I don't think so.
2: I mean, data protection should be enough Uh, because, you know, from the details
0: that he's giving in the first paragraph, I think that's fine. I mean, you'll probably see it in a few days if uh, that was an exemption. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Well, the other two questions, Mm -hmm. uh, I actually have an anecdote related to one of them, and they are related to what you were saying. One Mm -hmm. is Martin. Saying, uh, um, do you have any advice to reduce the waiting time between the back and forths? Because, or it's something just to accept and deal with because it was like it took 15 months for my Mm. approval. Mm. The other one is about uh, if even if we get an approval or exemption from the ethics committee, ethical issues could arise on the way. So, how can we do that? And I have a story about this. So, I wasn't involved directly in that research, but I helped setting up uh, uh, the the infrastructure because I used it for other experiments. And um, this person was basically leaking uh, fake credentials. I mean, credentials we created to see the behavior of uh, cyber criminals. And one of these cyber criminals used one of these uh, fake credentials to send a blackmailing email related to a scandal. Now, as part of our mitigations, especially to avoid spam, though um, this email would never get to the destination; it would be stopped immediately from uh, our structure. But we were recording it, and obviously, when uh, the when my friend and student as seen it was like, wait, and now, because obviously that's something you don't expect to have a blackmailing email related to real people in. Uh, this kind of thing so it's not easy to manage this kind of situation so I know it's a lot I mean timings and back and forths, and what if ethical issues arise on the way but what could happen in these cases well how would you deal with that
2: okay so in terms of timings
0: like I haven't been on rec uh,
2: and I'm not see the, the simplest thing to do is is what we in crime science or in criminology we call victim blaming which is we say that, you know, you can give enough information and that's why you deserve the back and forth. But I don't, I don't think that would be fair. I've seen some, like well-written applications because I have to sign off those applications. I've seen well-written applications just wait. Uh, I mean, sometimes, yes, you know, if your section 37 is two sentences, then I warn people and and then mm-hmm. so, but I don't see again. Now the thing with rec is that it's, the point to remember is that it consists of lay people who are not experts in your research. And like a lot of things in England, it comes down to well-written applications get you know, processed faster. Now, what is the definition of well-written? How does it work? Look, this is kind of, I think there needs to be more effort on part of REC to clarify this, but then how do we do it is something so we have monthly like you know uh, meetings where we can go and give our opinion to REC and all. And one of the things that we're trying to do at the department is try and take more more uh, power from REC to us by saying that like there are some things which are specialists that we understand better. Uh, but again, that is a whole debate because the fear in that is that then departments will just you know, will have their own blinders, look at something not considered ethical. So kind of like the student, like the student when they're Mm -hmm. filing, they don't really see. So the whole point is that there needs to be some objective lay person who can see the bigger picture. And that is where the whole thing is. So, but to, again, I mean, to give Martin an honest answer, I would say, I don't know how to reduce that. And it's just too subjective. I've seen it uh, to do whatever, but yes, one piece of advice would be that give them as much information as as you can, um, and 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 do that. And in terms of uh, of ethical implications, which come which come up, when I was in EMRES, we used to have a three day uh, ethics training. Um, I don't know if you guys also have it, uh, which was um, I think oh. mine
0: was one of the last years, I think.
2: Okay. So in that, we were clearly told that if the, any ethical implications come up during the project, you have to, you know, uh, inform whoever gave you your approval or exemption and you have to kind of whatever, but it is difficult. And again, I think um, there are better uh processes in place at something like uh, dpu next door and developmental development and planning unit because they do a lot of research um in 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 difficult environments and let's say ucl anthropology they have a much better system in place to deal with them but that is again something that given the field area of research that we work in we need to be more aware of it and and i do do really want to take these things forward um, in, in terms of, of having, having uh, take what to but again, you know, is procedure the answer? <laughs> I'm not so sure. Uh, but yeah. I think,
1: think the back and forth also depends on how fast you respond, how well your answers are, as you mentioned. Um, I understand uh, Martin's question because I went through the same. Uh, the ping pong uh, took a very long time. And um, at some point of time, I received 90 questions back oh, wow. from the rec. Yeah, that I had to write like a, a booklet of answers. And then that's a project that is still pending. It never reached anywhere. But um, the, the thing is, I think just before we wrap up and go to the last bit of our session, um, Kartikeya, uh, there's, I think, there's something, something positive we need to acknowledge as well about the, the ethics. Let it be the high risk one, preparing to fill in the form or anything. My personal, my personal experience is that, and that Jyoti as well. One of my supervisors has prepared me for it before I start with my first application. She told me, "Listen, it's gonna be a very difficult ride to get the approval, mm. but think of it this way that you will prepare everything you require for your project in advance, have the Mm. approval for it. Once the approval comes in, you just hit the road and execute. You have Mm. everything sorted out. So Mm. I always had that mindset going through the project, the the Mm. approval and waiting for it. And it Mm. really helped me looking at it positively. Mm. Um, so I think we need to also acknowledge the, the positive side of the, of the experience as well, bringing mm. the, preparing the information sheets, the constant form, approval, data protection, all the questionnaires, prepare yourself, how you will schedule, even the backup plan, mm. what if it goes mm. wrong. Mm. Um, so that's, that's um, on my, my personal note on, on the whole experience.
2: But um, if um, we, yeah. yeah. No, and to add to that, I'd say you also have a good publication. Because I've yes. seen mostly if you are doing research where it is hard to get sensitive topic, hard to get ethical approval. But once you do, I mean then it's all systems go with Jyoti's, right? And it usually means a good publication.
1: Yeah. And then you, as as I mentioned, you come across people who will ask for the ethics approval before they do any, uh, give you any information or fill in a form or questionnaire or interview. I think it's it's uh, a battle that we go through. Maybe some for some it's easier, for some it's more challenging. But at the end, whatever experience you go through, at the end you're prepared. You have a valid um, grounds to build on. Uh, Mm -hmm. with your research I think um, before we wrap up Kartikeya we need to hear from you maybe um, out of all the amazing stories and experiences you shared with us maybe the top three lessons learned from your experience whether as a researcher or as the person handling the research the uh, ethics um, forms in the department Uh,
2: okay top three yes Uh, One is that I think that, uh, which I'm, which I'm personally working a lot upon is that, you know, if crime science needs to be called continue calling itself a science, you need to be doing research in difficult environments right? So the laws of physics are not applicable only to Europe and America. The laws of physics are laws of physics because they are applicable also to Bahrain and to India and to Pakistan and to, you know, uh, to Senegal. And crime science right now remains like this, you know, very niche, uh, Anglo-centric discipline. And the challenge in that to take it forward will be ethics. The, all these sort of questions, which we, which one of our ways to do, to deal with them is to avoid going there, is not something that we can we need to be doing. Going forward, more and more of us, so not just researchers who are from, from a particular place doing research, that everybody needs to get interested in that and start looking at that kind of data. I mean, it's interesting for all of us, right? For Enrico, he's let's say he's looking at some, you know, cybersecurity data, which is from England or from Italy. Wouldn't it be great for him to understand how, what happens in thailand for example with the similar sort of thing it's just very exciting that's that's like one lesson um the second is that what enrico touched upon that you know there is a lot of data out there which will throw up some very very difficult ethical questions right especially with these things like uh, privacy and gdpr not all not all jurisdictions follow the same amount of, you know, kind of like ethical, whatever. You could go somewhere tomorrow and the guy says, like, here's the data for like all the victims of, you know, some IT fraud with their personal details, address and phone numbers. And there you go. What are you going to do? Right. So Hmm. answering that question is, is, is really important. And my third lesson is like, you know, at times uh, you have to keep your heart shut. (laughs) Which is like, you know, which is what happened to me. Like I start by saying with uh, MRes and understand your audience. Like, you know, do a lot of research, like prior research on, on where you're going to do your research. You know, understanding the context, understanding the people, and, uh, and, 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 and then convey the message in the, right, in the right format. Like, for example, to come back to it, I like what UCL anthropology does. Like, you know, they spend their time with their participants because it's anthropology. So, their whole idea of doing research is spending time with their participants, getting their trust. And you don't have to communicate everything in a format with a piece of paper, it is something that can happen over a conversation. And it's the same thing. And again, I agree with Enrico. It's probably just even better in certain circumstances to do that. So yeah, these I would say is the, the three things that, you know, you need to do more of crime science in other places. Uh, you need to be aware of the a lot of ethical implications that will come about where it's you know it's not so clean and, and process driven. And thirdly, there are other ways to do
0: ethics, you know. I and I like this accurate. bit understanding your audience as well, because yeah. it's what we said also in effective writing seminar with Richard, it was also about understanding your audience when you write and you want to write effectively. And we can see it's a circle, it's a it's a notion that is so important that is transversal into different topics. It's just amazing. Mm. Mm. I don't know how we can thank you enough, this was no interesting. I mean, uh, very no
1: interesting. Thought. Yeah. Um, thank you for your time thank you for sharing all these amazing stories and experiences with us and i'm yeah. sure our audience really um enjoyed this session as well and i'm i believe that most of them are at the stage of uh, applying maybe or they just did so mm-hmm. uh, thank you and um i would say to everyone that's with us if you would like to be with us on this uh, messed up next, one of the next messed up sessions. Uh, we are interested in your failures, so don't keep them to yourself. Come share them with us and tell us about your messed up moments. Uh, Kartikeya, thank you very much. It was an amazing session. Thank you. We're glad you did. And we look forward maybe to have a session two of ethics with you. Oh, yeah, why
0: not? Why not? Yes. Why not? Yes. This has been the Messed Up series. Thanks for listening. You can find more episodes of the series at uclsecretsociety.org slash messed up.